Today, I'm going to walk you through exactly how I got started in government contracting. I want to go back to the beginning and give you some context because I think it's really, really important for you to hear how a kid who had never ever had any sales training, business training, government contractor training, or anything along those lines, got into the market and then became successful. If I can do this, anybody can do it. And I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying it's possible. That's the big thing. I'm saying it's possible. I really feel like the story is incomplete if I just start from when I took over our sales department and started leading it and the things we did. The story is incomplete. So I'm going to start at the beginning and tell you how I got into the market. Then we're going to talk about how I got in the sales team and then the changes we made to the sales team that allowed us to take the company from a million a year and struggling to 11 plus million a year and thriving in less than 18 months. The story begins with me in the army. So I joined the army in 1995. I went from 1995 to 1999, all of that time at Fort Hood in the Force 21 program. The Force 21 program was very interesting because we were focused on like the next generation of tools, technologies, software, vehicles, all that kind of stuff for the government. I was constantly surrounded by government contractors. They were around me all the time. Lockheed Martin, General Dynamics, MITRE, SAIC, you name the company, they were around us all the time. And so what happens when you're a young soldier and you see these people around you all the time? Well, you kind of start asking questions about how they became a government contractor and all the kind of things. They're literally working over your shoulder all the time because you're working on their software or whatever technology they're working on and they're asking you questions so they can improve it and that sort of thing. I'm asking them questions about how they got into it, the kind of money they make and all that kind of stuff. And then there's this natural progression where you see your fellow soldiers getting out of the military and you're chit-chatting with them and I'm like, hey man, what are you going to do? And they're like, oh, well, I just got hired by General Dynamics. I just got hired by Lockheed Martin. And so you see that happening around you all the time because of us being in Force 21 and knowing the technologies and all that kind of thing. It just made a natural progression for a lot of soldiers, just like it did for me. When I got out of the military, I contacted the colonel that I had worked for in the military. He was with a big company. And I said, hey, you got any spots open? He said, sure, give me a little bit of time. Next thing I know, I was moving to Colorado Springs and I was working on the help desk for this government contractor. I didn't have my degree or anything like that. I was working on my degree. I just wound up on the help desk. And I was glad to do it. I think I increased my salary by like 400, 500% in my first year just by getting out and doing that. So that was pretty awesome. I got hired to be on this help desk and trained to focus on this very specific software. We got trained on how to use the software, how to troubleshoot the software, how to work on the servers. Then we got trained on how to install the software and all these different things. And then we got thrown into the midst of the help desk. And my goal when I joined that team was in five years, I wanted to be running that help desk. I thought that would be awesome, you know? Flash forward two years and I spend that two years working every single day with our government contracting clients. So I'm working with people that are in military uniforms. I'm working with civilians that are working at these agencies. And I'm literally working with every agency you can imagine from all of the intelligence community to the Joint Forces Commands, Army, Navy, Air Force, you name it. I am working with them on a daily basis. They're calling in. We're on first name basis and I'm getting to know all of these people. And that was really one of the things that made me super successful 
one sales. I got to know every single customer on a first name basis. And so what happened was I'm about two and a half years in here and I'm the supervisor of the help desk and I get an offer from another company to leave and go to them. And it's literally only like a $5,000 a year raise. I brought that offer to my supervisor and my supervisor is like, look, we're not going to match it. So you might as well just take the offer and leave. He was being a real jerk about it. What did I do? First thing I did was I called my friend, the, the colonel that was my vice president at the time. And I said, Hey, I'm getting ready to leave. You know, I can't get a raise. I can't get promoted. This guy here is going to block me from doing everything. I don't know if he's jealous of what the deal is, but anyway, I'm going to leave. My VP says, Hey, before you leave, would you give sales a try? And I was like, why would I do that? That's literally the dark side of the company. There's absolutely no reason for me to go over to the dark side. And he's like, well, a little more than triple your compensation. I'm like, well, tell me about the dark side, <laughs> right? My name is Michael Lejeune, and I started this podcast to help government contractors win more government contracts. I wanted to help you by sharing all the tips and techniques and strategies that help me personally win millions of government contracts. And those strategies today have helped our clients win billions in government contracts. If you love this podcast as much as I do, I would really appreciate it if you go on whatever app you listen on and rate and review the podcast. That's how it gets out to the world and more people find out about it. Now let's get back into this episode. So I take the job in sales. Immediately, I start having success. And it's actually totally dumbfounding the sales director that I'm working for at the time. They're like, how are you doing this? Like, we're literally beating our head against the wall. And you've come in here and you've got sales literally in your first quarter. We didn't expect anything out of you from six months. And I'm like, I don't really know. I don't know what I'm doing. What am I doing differently than everybody else? And he was like, well, you're winning contracts. <laughs> That's what you're doing. It all started because when I got out, they assigned me a small group of of clients. And when they assigned me those clients, I was like, oh, well, I know them. 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 I literally went down the list and there was almost no one on the list that I didn't know. When I got assigned those clients, I just started reaching out and talking to them and I already knew their problems. So that was one of the things that made me as a salesperson very successful is I knew the customer. I can't stress how important it is for you to know the customer and understand their problems. I knew the things they had been complaining about since day one on, on the help desk. And so now that I was in sales and I had a sales engineer that was assigned to me, I could be like, hey, Bob, I want you to go fix this for this client. I want you to do it tomorrow. And once we started fixing things that were high priority for the clients, clients were like, oh, they actually care about us. We're going to buy more of their stuff. We're going to buy more licenses. We're going to expand the usage of what we're doing. And immediately I started getting sales where other salespeople were not because they did not understand the clients. Some of our salespeople were what I would consider old school sales, where they were the kind of folks that were like, hey, let's take somebody out to dinner. Let's go golfing with them and we're going to get contracts. And I'm like, yeah, you can't do any of that stuff, number one. And number two, just because you go golfing with Steve doesn't mean he's going to give you a contract. Doesn't work that way. You know, there's a lot, a lot of misinformation like that in the market. Maybe six, eight, 
eight months goes by, I'm just crushing it in sales. I knew at the time the company was kind of struggling by itself. On its own, the company was not doing well because we had been sold off by this time to this really small company. And that company was in a decline. And the reason it bought our software was that was supposed to be the thing that turned around the company. Well, it wasn't turning around the company. There was a lot of promises made. Those promises weren't coming to fruition. And here they were really, really struggling. I remember I got called into a meeting one day. I just sold my house in Colorado and I was moving to the St. Louis area. I got called into this meeting and the meeting was supposed to be about who was buying this or who was going to inject some cash into the company. My VP of sales at the time actually called me before the meeting. It was like, man, you got to be in this meeting. Super exciting news. They're going to put in $20 million in cash and it's going to be awesome. man. super, super awesome. You're going to love this meeting. So I get in the meeting and as you can imagine, as I'm setting this up here, it doesn't go the way you expect. In the meeting, the CEO basically says, hey, there was three people that it looked like they were going to put money in and this is what failed with this one and this is what failed with this one. And we think they're going to get to the third one and go, and this is the one we went with. And instead they go, and this one also failed. So as of right now in this call, you're all fired. And it was like, excuse me, like what just happened? We're all fired. Yep. You're all fired as of this moment. I remember getting up and just hanging up on that meeting and like, okay, I'm about to go into the mortgage company and sell my house, move across the country and I have no job. And so by the time we got halfway across the country after selling the house, I get this call. They're like, Hey, we're going to bring you back. And uh, there's a meeting with the CEO. And so we get on this meeting with the CEO. Now remember here, I had been for the last six months crushing it in sales, heard nothing but positive things from my sales team about the direction we were going, all this kind of stuff. And then I get on this meeting with the CEO after they bring us back and we just get ripped to shreds as a department for 30 minutes, 30 minutes of ripping us to shreds. And so finally, I actually just hung up on the meeting and I sent the CEO an email and basically said, look, this is just complete BS and everything you're saying, it sounds like a lie. I'd like to speak to you one-on-one. Within five minutes of sending the email, I get a call from the CEO. And I'm like, this was totally uncalled for what you did to us. We've been killing it. It sounds like a bunch of lies. And he he lets me rant and rave. And he finally stops me. He says, Mike, it sounds like we're both being lied to. Here's the deal. Your boss is fired. After this phone call with you, your boss is fired. And he's like, well, congratulations. You're now the VP of sales. You start on Monday. Take the weekend to think through your strategy. I'll see you in DC in your new office. I was like, "Uh, now I'm commuting to DC from St. Louis. So it was really funny how all of that stuff transpired. But that's how I got into the position to actually make decisions. And so the first thing that I did was I sat down with our sales team and I said, I want to see your pipeline. Hey, by the way, I've never done sales before, but I want to see your pipeline because I've been tracking one. I want to see yours. And I just got this deer in the headlights look. Like, what are you talking about? You know, all we do is email the big boss. He puts stuff on a spreadsheet or something. We don't even know what the spreadsheet looks like. And that was true. This was before CRMs were a thing. Like you didn't see CRMs or anything like that. This is early 2000s where this was happening. And so I said, look, from now on, we're all going to have a pipeline and there's going to be different stages of the pipeline so that I can know what the percentages are of you closing things. This is how I'm going to run stuff. Literally within the first two weeks, we had the first sales pipeline in our division. Like we'd never had one as a sales team where I could look at it and say, based on everybody in, in the sales team, here's the percentage of you closing the revenue you're supposed to close this quarter. 
And oh, by the way, you have a quarterly goal, not just an annual goal. Like we can't just pay you to once a year, get some sales. Maybe I need to know on a quarterly basis. So I put metrics in place for the sales team. That was step one of totally changing the sales team. Because guess what? Not everybody liked the fact that there were now quarterly quotas that they had to report on a daily or weekly basis what they were doing with their activities and update a pipeline. They didn't like it. So guess what? First thing we did was we lost half our sales team. And when I looked at who we lost, I'm like, these people haven't had a contract in a year. We got rid of the people that were really clogging up the sales team by putting in some metrics that to me were basic standards. When I look at a lot of clients we have today, there are a lot of clients when I sit down with them that still today, and when I'm recording this, it's in the fall of 2022, there are a lot of clients that don't have a pipeline. It's literally in their head. Step number one to massive growth and massive success for us was implementing a pipeline and policies and procedures on how we update that pipeline. Step number two for us was I started to reevaluate us as a business. And when I started to look at us as a business, one of the things that I noticed was that we were selling through resellers. We didn't sell direct. Everything we did was through what the government considers them value-added resellers are VARs. What I noticed was that the VA was missing in VAR. There was no value add in there. And so I sat down and I said, look, our margin is garbage right now. We're making 20% margin on these licenses at best. Sometimes we're making 15% on our software licenses and we're selling indirectly to our customers in a situation where there should be value add. There's zero value add. We're doing all the heavy lifting. So our next decision is we are going to end our VAR program. We're going to stop that. People will no longer allowed to be resellers. We are going to go direct to consumer. So we changed our business model. And by changing our business model, we were actually able to decrease the cost of the licenses and quadruple our profit. Before, the reseller was making all of the profit on our licenses. And now we were going to be making all the profit on our licenses. So I was able to reduce the cost of the customer and increase profitability exponentially. And so that was a huge help for us. Now, I will tell you, there were some very mad people at me. I remember sitting in one of the towers over in Tyson's Corner with General Dynamics on like the, I don't know, seemed like the 800th floor of some building, right? Where this VP sat across from me and said, you know, this is kind of BS. And, you know, I've been in this business 40 years and you don't do this kind of thing. And I just remember looking back at him and I was like, you're running a $3 billion division. I'm running a $1 million company and we're struggling to stay alive. And you're not doing your job. You're not adding the value that you signed up for. What do you expect us to do? We're going to go out of business if we don't change our model. And again, I'm the 23, 24 year old at the time that they're like, you know, just get out of my office. <laughs> I think mean, I had that happen to me a few times with some of our big partners. Just get out of my office, right? I'm like, look, we're going to still be partners on this stuff, but you guys are going to be the systems integrators and you're going to get all of that money just like you always had because we're going to sell more licenses, they're going to have a greater need. So initially in that first three to five months, I got a lot of pushback, a lot of hate, but as it started to go and we went from selling, say a thousand licenses a year to 10,000 licenses a year, guess what happened? A lot more work on the back end. It started to make sense to the people that were our partners and, and we mended our relationships. That was a big deal, but changing our model was a big deal. Here's another component that changed the game for us. When I sat down and looked at what our cost were, Another challenge for us was, you know, we had been part of this one company. Our back end software was built on the 
this other company's software. And so we had to license it in addition to licensing our stuff. During the time that we were transitioning, that company got sold to Microsoft. When that company got sold to Microsoft, you know, we were told there's going to be no negotiation on pricing. Here's what the pricing is. Here's how it is. It's all set. So what did I do? I literally flew out to Redmond and I met with the team out there in Microsoft. And I said, look, here's some things that we need from you. Number one, we need it. We need to change the pricing. The pricing is way too expensive. And of course they said, look, we're not changing the pricing. And I said, how about this? How about if I guarantee you X number of millions of dollars and X number of thousands of licenses, would you then lower the pricing? And what did they say? Oh, well, yeah, we do it then. If you guaranteed us revenue, we'd absolutely do that. So they lowered the price almost 50% on what we were selling. And so now we have lowered our cost all across the board on our software. And we've made ourselves very, very nimble in the government market. And we were poised to start selling more. And so we started selling more. We started really working on the relationships we had that I had leveraged by knowing all of these customers. I started teaching our salespeople how to build these relationships, what questions to ask, to see if their customers had the same problems my customers had. And we started to really work on all of those relationships. And guess what happened? All of their accounts started growing. Everybody started selling a lot more. And as we started to sell more, one of the really cool things that happened was the government started coming to us and saying, hey, would you give us price breaks if we bought in bulk? You know, if we bought 1,000, 4,000 licenses at a time. So we were like, well, sure we would. And what did I do? I went right back to Microsoft and said, hey, if I got an order that was 500 licenses or 1,000 licenses, would you give me an additional break on that? And they said, sure, absolutely. We'd be happy to do that. So now I'm making more margin on that because they're giving in to me and the company is growing and getting better and more powerful and all that stuff is awesome. At the time of where I'm talking, we're probably three and a half, four million dollars a year. I sit down with our sales team and I say, look, what's something radical that we could do? And a lot of you have heard this story, but I'm gonna tell it again here. Somebody on the team suggested, well, hey, why don't we reach out with an unsolicited proposal to everybody in government, every decision maker in government? And so we did. We built this 200 and something page PowerPoint slide, literally printed it in these binders and all this stuff, had late nights assembling these binders. We started to mail them to every secretary in the military, uh, every undersecretary, you know, in every agency that you can think of. We even got George Bush's, because he was the president at the time, we got his fax number for his war room. We got his private email address that no one has. And we started emailing and faxing, yes, faxing this 200 and something page unsolicited proposal to everybody under the sun. And we were so cool. We thought it was amazing, this thing we were doing, and we were just going to get all these contracts. And what happened was crickets. It was like month one, crickets. Month two, crickets. Month three, crickets. Finally, about month four, I get a letter, a signed letter from Andy Card. That was President Bush's chief of staff. And he says, look, appreciate the packet you sent out, what you're trying to accomplish. I'm the wrong guy. President's the wrong guy. Who you really need to talk to about this is this three-star general. So now I had a signed letter from the president's chief of staff saying, hey, go talk to this three-star general. So what did I start doing? I started using that to go and talk to these people and say, this is how we can take our licensing from the model we have now to kind of a blanket across all of the military and do everything we wanted to do. Long story short, that didn't work. That didn't happen. But what it did do was it opened doors that I never thought would have opened. All of a sudden, there were people 
people that knew about us that had no clue about us. There were people that were reaching out to ask questions and things like that. And while we didn't get a government-wide license, all of a sudden, you know, my pipeline went from eight or 10, maybe 15 contract opportunities a quarter up to about 35, 40 contract opportunities per quarter. So it just went bonkers for us. Now we were actually doing proactive marketing in what I would consider like a pre-solicitation type of environment for the first time in the company. We used that and took advantage of it because every time somebody would engage us in a conversation, I was able to point to my past performance and say, well, this command is using it and that command is using it and this command is using it. And here's how your command can use it. And we've got special pricing for the Air Force and special pricing for the Army, special pricing for the intelligence community and all these different types of things. We just continued to work those relationships and build on that success of that marketing campaign, if that's what you want to call it. So if I roll this back, the big things were we examined what we were doing and we looked at, hey, everything that's not working, we're going to get rid of that and we're going to make those changes. We're going to sit down with the sales team and train them and hold them accountable. That was a big thing. We had to hold them accountable with those metrics. We also were able to build forecasts by doing that because we're able to see what has a 90% chance of closing this quarter and that sort of thing. So just it just helped us a lot. We sat down with our partners, smoothed over a lot of those edges, you know, and different things that had happened. We just focused on the customer. That was the big deal. We focused on the customer. What do you like? What would you like to change in this software? How can we make this better? And we constantly focused on that. The other thing about it was we were quick. So if a customer had an issue, they were getting help literally within hours, not days or weeks or months. And so our customer service was a huge focus. I actually hired a sales engineer to work directly for me and our sales team. And his whole purpose was to focus on our customer issues that you know maybe the help desk couldn't fix because they didn't have the skill level or, or whatever. This guy was a former engineer. He could get into the code. He could make changes. I made sure that we had a customer service person that could knock it out of the park anytime anybody had an issue. At the end of the day, I start to look up and I'm like, wow, we're doing $11.2 million a year now. That's consistent. It's growing. Really, that's the whole story. So it was a very interesting ride. I did that really hard for two and a half years, traveled 328 days out of the year, and then decided to take a step back and then kind of got into what I do today with that. That's really the story from A to Z on how I got into government contracting with literally no experience, no education on this, became successful successful in it when other people were failing. Everybody had failed before me. And then I was able to pass that on to other people on the team. I think that's really, really critical. Now, I've learned a lot of lessons from that. And if you are listening to this on the podcast, if you are watching it on YouTube, I'll make a suggestion of what you should listen or watch to next. There is a video and a podcast I did called Your First Year in Government Contracting. I would go watch that because that really consolidates a lot of lessons that I learned from this and gave me some practical feedback that I could give you. You know, there's just so many little nuances to this business. I want to consolidate them in that video and that's the one. So your first year in government contracting, if you're on YouTube, go watch that video. If you are on a podcast, go listen to that podcast. I think that one will blow you away and it ties in very well with this one. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of Game Changers for Government Contractors. If you have a suggestion for a topic or a guest, please reach out. We are always looking for new guests, new topics, and things that you want to hear about. Thank you for your support, and we'll see you next episode.